Welcome to Lost in Movies. In this episode, we are going to be discussing Gattaca, another Ethan Hawke film as part of my Ethan Hawke series that I've been doing since the summer and will do into another month. In this case, it's a 1997 sci-fi film with a lot of interesting uh, themes and aspects to talk about. As always, I would love to hear your feedback on this film or any other that I discuss. I'll read it at the end of the episode, uh, even if it's for a film I talked about a while back. I'm always happy to revisit that. As for my work elsewhere, uh, on my site I announced around the time, actually I think a week before this episode came out, the, the last episode came out on this podcast, that I would have a new Journey Through Twin Peaks video coming soon. And it's finally out, like literally exporting it tonight uh, as I prepare this podcast for uh, the public uh, podcast. So if you're interested in Twin Peaks, you can check out this new video. It's about uh, Twin Peaks collaborators, so people other than David Lynch or Mark Frost who contributed to the show, showing clips from a lot of the films I discussed in the last episode for this podcast on the twin films by Twin Peaks episode directors like Halloween Town and The Escape Artist and Now and Then and Zelly and Me. So interesting tie in there. Definitely check it out. It'll be linked in the show notes as always. And now let's discuss Gattaca. In the not too distant future, our DNA will determine everything about us. A minute drop of blood, saliva, or a single hair determines where you can work, who you should marry, what you're capable of achieving. In a society where success is determined by science, divided by the standards of perfection, one man's only chance... How do you expect to pull this off? I don't know exactly. ...is to hide his own identity. This is the last day that you're going to be you and I'm going to be me. ...by borrowing someone else's. Congratulations. What about the interview? That was it. Do you think you'd be doing what you're doing if it wasn't for who you are, what you are? I have a feeling you might be there under false pretenses, playing somebody else's hand. We've got my picture plastered up all over the place. They'll recognize me. They won't recognize me. They'll recognize me! I don't recognize you. They won't believe that one of their elite could have suckered them all this time. They are going to find me. But in a place where any cell from any part of your body can betray you, how do you hide when we all shed 500 million cells a day? Ethan Hawke. Uma Thurman. Welcome. Gattaca, like Dead Poet Society, was a film I may have seen for the first time and, and almost certainly the, the last time that I watched it was uh, a high school class in the fall of 99. Uh, for Dead Poet Society, it was an English class. The teacher was just loved that movie and he wanted to kind of, he actually reenacted something. He had us looking at the photos of people and 
saying, you know, these people have moved on. I don't think any of them were dead because it wasn't there weren't photos of people from a hundred years ago like there were in the uh, scene in the Dead Dead Poet Society. But you know, same idea. And so he loved teaching that. The Gattaca situation was different. It was more kind of honestly just one of those films the teacher put on, like, okay, this will just keep the class in line or whatever. We're going to watch a movie today. Uh, it did tie in quite a bit. Maybe that's not fair because it, it certainly tied in quite a bit to the to the subject. It was a biology class, and we were talking about DNA and the Human Genome Project. And, of course, this, this film had come out about two years ago at that point. So it's a pretty fresh look at some of those ideas within that. So I remember watching that and enjoying that film. And I'd heard about it. I think my aunt had been a big fan and, and kind of recommended it, but I, I'm not sure if I'd ever watched it till this point. So watching it again now, this was probably the first time in almost 20 years. And uh, it was striking. It held up really well. Definitely felt like a film of its time in certain ways, which I suppose we'll get to. Um, but it 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 has a very gripping story great concept it's just a very entertaining film you know there are films that uh, like a, it's it's got that kind of thriller framework where they hook you in with a great premise and then you just it you know it, it it's uh it's a successful example of its of its a very successful example of its genre i guess so the film talks it, it takes place in a society presumably several decades from now in which genetic testing has really been perfected and parents can be told with exact certitude how long their their baby's going to live and what its problems are going to be what its potential is you know it's all of all of its kind of uh, life forecast by looking at the at the uh, genetic material right at birth and this main character, uh, his name is, what was his name? He has two names in the film, as you'll see, because he ends up kind of taking somebody else's uh, place. But his actual name is Vincent. And he was just conceived without any genetic engineering, born, and, uh, you know, they said, well, he's only probably going to live till he's about 30 because uh, he's going to have heart problems. So the parents go on to have another child, and this time they do things the way most parents do now. They have actual testing. They arrange, uh, not testing, because they're actually creating their perfect child. Uh, they're crafting it beforehand with the, with the help of a genetic engineer. And so their next son is stronger than Vincent's. He's, you know, healthier. And uh, this is the dynamic that, Vince, dynamic that Vincent grows up in. But they have a scene where he's swimming with his brother at the beach and he's always losing. And then one day he actually is able to keep going and swim past him. And this is like an opening of a door for him. He's like, maybe I can do more than I'm supposed to. So he dreams of becoming an astronaut, which he could never do given his health condition. And also the fact that this society is very discriminatory. I think they say it's illegal. Like it's a very subtle sort of dystopian film, which I like a lot. They're not bashing you over the head with this idea of this state ever-present that's forcing all of these conditions down people's throats. It's much more of consensus. I think the Wikipedia entry actually even describes it as like a libertarian genetic regime where all of these companies just have access to people's genetic information, and that's how you pass job interviews. That's how you're chosen for this or that field. There's just a very, you know, they're not supposed to look, but all they need is a sample. They could take a fingerprint off of a cup or anything, 
and they can get it tested and they know whether they want to hire you or not. So he becomes a janitor at this, I guess, sort of like a NASA headquarters. Or something. I don't think they ever call it NASA, but whatever the space agency is at this time. And, uh, you know, he's always dreaming of flying. He's looking at the rockets go up. And as he's working there, he's just closer and closer to his dream, but he's on the other, literally the other side of the glass, you know, like he's cleaning, looking in at these office workers. And uh, eventually he just wants to get there. So he hires a guy, a, a sort of a, I don't know if you call him a black market uh, uh, expert or whatever, but he, he's played by Tony Shalhoub and he is able to find an identity that's a great match for uh for vincent and have him basically take this guy's place and in this case it's a person who's been injured so he's no longer able to do the things he was once able to do he doesn't even really want to reveal to people that he's now handicapped he's in a wheelchair his legs are broken uh or he's paralyzed rather from the waist down i think because uh you know that'll change all of his prospects and everything he was genetically engineered to be basically perfect and now he's not, so he doesn't know what to do with himself. So his name is Jerome. Vincent becomes Jerome. They even lengthen his legs. They do an operation to make him the same height. And he has to match certain physical specifications, but Jerome is played by Jude Law. So obviously Jude Law and Ethan Hawke don't look that much alike. And they do an interesting thing in this movie where they kind of composite their faces. And whenever they like scan Ethan Hawke's uh, fingerprints or genetic material, like this sort of weird composite face comes up. They're like, oh yeah, you're him. It's like... It's a very interesting, neat little trick uh, because the whole concept of this is nobody cares what you look like. They don't even care how you sound. Like Jude Law has a British accent. They just want to, and to be fair, he's not interacting that much with people who knew him as the other character. But people don't care about all of that stuff. They just want to know your genetic profile and that's all. So if you can fake it, you can make it. It's just really hard to fake it. The sort of framework of the movie, because they have these flashbacks to how he got there, but the framework of the movie is that somebody has been murdered, an official who is trying to prevent the next flight, which Ethan Hawke was going to go on, the flight to, I think it's Jupiter or one of the moons or something like that. He didn't do it. That's established very quickly, but he leaves a, I think, an eyelash on the scene. And so these detectives, one of whom is played by Alan Arkin, and the other who's kind of a young guy, we find more about it later in the film, they find this this eyebrow or this this little hair. They are able to identify it as Vincent, and they go looking for him, thinking he must be the killer. So they're getting closer and closer to Ethan Hawke's character in this film and discovering his strange double life and his secret. And meanwhile, he is falling in love with uh, Uma Thurman's character, who's named Irene. And she is working there at the Space Center with him. And she has some of her own very minor health flaws, but she's still part of that upper echelon and everything. And they draw close together. She starts to suspect something's going on. As that net gets tighter and tighter, we're watching something that's got aspects of a noir thriller. It's obviously a very high concept sci-fi film. There's a lot of interesting ideas, but it also is just really well executed by Andrew Nichol, Andrew Nichol the director. I think maybe you could make an argument that there are, I don't want to say too many endings, it's almost a little too perfect. Like there's just these dramatic beats that need to happen, you know, that you're feeling like, okay, we need one more beat here and they give it to you. But feels a little, it pushes it a little. I'll talk about that later because I don't want to spoil anything yet. We'll get there. Watching this film again, I was reminded of 
what an amazing cast they gathered together for this. Like Ernest Borgnine's in it. Gore Vidal is in it, which is just great. He's the supervisor of uh, Ethan Hawke's character. I can't think of that many films that I've even seen Gore Vidal in. It's just a great casting decision to have him in this. And Alan Arkin, of course, as I mentioned, is the detective. And I thought there was an interesting dynamic with the two detectives, the younger and the older one. Uh, you get the sense, you know, not to put for shade on Alan Arkin, but that maybe he's more of like a normal person. Uh, plus he's older, so it might have been from a time before they had genetic engineering, where he's just an ordinary guy. And this other, this assistant, is the more almost Aryan-looking one because they do definitely play with little that idea of like the you know the the master race and all this and people having to look a certain way and be a certain height and blonde or blue-eyed or whatever uh, maybe not blonde so much but definitely blue-eyed and this this younger character is still assisting the detective who's a lot sharper than him in some ways or seems to be so you have that weird dynamic of okay well so he's not Mr. Perfect, but he still seems to have something that the genetically engineered person doesn't have. That's a subtle thing. It's never foregrounded, but definitely something I was thinking about. Another thing I love about this movie is uh, it's, you know, late 90s, 97. CGI wasn't that much of a thing yet, and there's a lot of just great art direction going on in this. And I think probably some computer animation, but also probably some, like, props and models and a lot of real locations that are just really rich and evocative it was shot in around uh, los angeles and southern california and a lot of these already kind of futuristic looking uh, locations like they shot it at a at a i think the main place they work was a building that was built by frank lloyd wright it's able to capture that kind of californian sense of the future that's a, it's a very Tomorrowland film put it that way it's like a refreshingly styled film I think would be the the way that I would put it, if if that makes any sense. It's not, it's not trying to be kind of like a, as as things. I think within a few years, the default would become more of like a shaky cam look, more of a bleached out look, and that may actually be going away again at this point. But for a while, that was kind of like the dominant aesthetic, and so to to watch this where everything is very like crisp and sharp, it was nominated for. Uh, best production design for an Oscar. I think the only award that it was nominated for, and this was not a major film, but actually, you know, I was looking at Wikipedia. It came in number five the the week that it came out behind, uh, let's see, 1997, number five at the box office behind I Know What You Did Last Summer, The Devil's Advocate, Kiss the Girls, and Seven Years in Tibet. So I would say it's definitely outlived probably any of those films. Uh, maybe, you know, I Know What You Did Last Summer still has a following among some some slasher fans or whatever. I, I don't know. I don't, you don't hear much about it anymore. Uh, Devil's Advocate, I think, because of Al Pacino's kind of campy performance, still has a cult admiration society or whatever. Anybody who looks at that list and was, uh, you know, I was in eighth grade at this time, so anybody who was kind of around that age or older in uh, 97 would be like, oh, yes, this is <laughs> just like brings to mind a certain era of movies very, very sharply. But also on the Wikipedia page, the reason I brought it up, it mentions that it won the production uh, design award and that that was like the only kind of recognition it got at that time. And yet since then, it's become a fairly popular beloved film. In fact, one of the podcasts I'm going to list uh, when I get to the recommendation section uh, talks about how the the podcast host put up a poll of what's your favorite Ethan Hawke performance, I think it was the question, outside of Richard Linklater or uh, first 
uh, first reformed. They didn't want, you know, they thought that would dominate if they left those on, uh, since that's the new film that's out with him. And there was like an overwhelming write-in campaign that's just like swamped the Twitter thread of uh, for of people talking about Gattaca, just how much they loved that film. And I can definitely see why, both the, the concept and also just the feel of the film. I think that's important. It's not just like this high concept. It's like a really well-executed, enjoyable-to-watch movie. And I think sometimes that gets lost in the shuffle, uh, but it's just it's, it's really gripping in that sense. Um, here's a funny little tidbit to close out with, I guess. Well, not quite close because we're going to talk about the ending a little in a moment. But uh, apparently, also according to that Wikipedia page, uh, Paul uh, Rand Paul plagiarized the large swaths of the English Wikipedia entry on Gattaca while giving a speech to Liberty University in 2013. So there you go. I said how that list of movies was late 90s evocation. This is a very relatable evocation of like that libertarian Tea Party moment in the early 2010s. So Gattaca keeps being relevant for better or worse. So now to talk about that ending, spoilers here, the younger detective turns out to be Ethan Hawke's older brother grown up. And uh, I I mean, I kind of love the twist watching because I didn't, I should have seen it coming and I didn't. It's like, why would they bring up the brother and then never show him again? Obviously he's going to come back and I'd totally forgotten this. And I kind of realized it like right before uh, the, the revelations. So that's always fun when you have that moment. That said, the way they handled it was a little... I don't know if I want to call it hackneyed eventually, but like he's going to go fly to the moon, you know, to Saturn or Jupiter or whatever the next day with like 12 hours to go, whatever. He and his brother go out to that beach and swim again against each other and have a speech in the water of, well, this is why I beat you that day in the past. It's like, okay, this is a little forced. And then there's a moment after that with the doctor who has admired him the whole movie and uh, the, the doctor's doing the testing uh, as the astronauts go in, he says, oh, actually today you can't bring like a urine sample. I think you have to do it right here or something. And he has like no way out. So he just basically admits, okay, fine. Yeah, I'm a fraud. You know, I went through this whole movie and he's like remarkably calm about it. He's like, I guess he's just kind of come to peace with whatever. Gone through this whole movie, gotten away with this. And now right as I'm walking up to the, to the ship, you're going to test me and find out. And of course the doctor just kind of passes him on. And that's a good moment. But feels a little convenient. Like, okay, we just, we need one more beat now that the murder mystery is solved. And I think overall, you could argue there's something a little forced. I mean, whenever you do a high concept film like this, there's, there's always that tendency. And especially, I've just noticed this a lot watching films. Um, I think uh, including some of the sort of patron recommendations of spring, like watching a lot of films I hadn't watched in a while. It's like a certain structure that, that films would follow, that this sort of three-act design that was like followed almost like a religion in the 90s. To an extent, I don't think it is today. I think that writing is a little more loose, for better and for worse. Um, you know, it does make for often very gripping viewing, but also something that's a little pat in some ways at times. So anyways, I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling a little about the end of that. But, but yeah, I liked this movie a lot. I loved revisiting it. And uh, I also mentioned in closing, Jude Law, I thought was great in this. Like he was just really got to got to sort of be the morose, not snarky exactly, but often sarcastic British alcoholic. Perfect little part for him. I thought it, that was that was probably one of the most compelling features of this movie was it wasn't just about Ethan Hawke kind of ascending, but also about. Uh, the Jude Law character kind of having to struggle with his shortcomings. And it's interesting that this film is, a, obviously it's against a kind of 
genetic aristocracy, but it's very much of like a meritocratic hard work, uh, almost a bootstraps kind of mentality in a way, where Ethan Hawke just works really hard and he's able to excel and ascend to the highest level. And that dream of doing something that most other people can't do is the vision of success presented in that film. I think that's a way in which it's, I mean, you still see that all the time, but that's an attitude that I think was very prevalent in the 90s, this idea of we just need a meritocracy where it's not like your programming, but it's your, it's how hard you work and you're able to rise to the top and fulfill this dream that is a very exclusive dream in a way. So, you know, I'm not sitting there necessarily questioning all of this, watching the movie, you're, you're wrapped up in it, you're, you're invested in his aspirations and everything, but it is interesting. What's being conveyed with that is that the problem isn't necessarily this stratification of society, but just that, um, you know, one person isn't able to ascend the height of the stratification. Something to consider, I guess. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating, reviewing, subscribing on iTunes. That's the best way to get other people to see this as well. And if you really like my work, please consider becoming a patron. You can donate a dollar a month or $5 a month for different tiers, different access to lots and lots of bonus content. I have hundreds of hours of uh, podcast recordings already on my Patreon that, that you can check out, including the further Ethan Hawke ones if you want to get a sneak peek ahead of the next few. Thank you for listening. Here is a preview for the next episode in a couple weeks, continuing the Ethan Hawke theme. This is going to be on one of his first breakthrough roles, Dead Poet Society. These are noble pursuits, poetry, romance, love. These are what we stay alive for. That's beautiful. Sit down, Mr. Anderson. Pardon me, dear! Sit down. What the hell is going on here? Seize the day. Ah!